Here we go. Yeah! The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With four Earth Four. Missing Link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. Well, what is it from? Uh, it was from The Dark Knight. You know, the Batman movie. One of yeah. 500. Where he said, uh, Harvey Dent said, you, uh, you either die the hero or <laughs> you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. <laughs> Joining us to discuss that and more, uh, Senator from California, Diane Feinstein. Oh, oh, what's that? Oh, she's dead. Never mind. She's dead. We almost had it. That would have been a great interview. Yeah, for sure. I'll have to wait a little longer to, uh, to see that full interview. <laughs> she will be missed, especially yeah. by China because boy, she had, so I, I don't know if, I mean, it, it definitely didn't make its rounds in the media. But to people paying attention, it was very alarming when we all learned that Dianne Feinstein employed a Chinese spy as her chauffeur. The the FBI approached her about this, I think, in 2018 and said, yeah, uh, Miss Fire, Senator Feinstein, uh, about your driver. And they but then they claim, oh, he was. uh, He was legit when he was hired, but then later the CCP flipped him, which I find to be very believable. But what I also find to be very believable is that the FBI probably didn't do their due diligence in vetting and, you know, doing a background check on this, this chauffeur, which is probably why they would say something like, oh, he was legit to begin with. Uh, But Dianne Feinstein had a long history of propping up the Chinese Communist Party when it came to American politics. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why she died in office. And, and I don't know how you feel about this, but you're, you're politicians. What, what's the average age of the, the politicians in, in the UK? Uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? Yeah, yeah. The average age of the politicians in the UK. You sent me that that video about uh your your speaker of the house. Um Oh. Okay. And he he looked like a pretty old man. Is that generally the uh, the demeanor of of most of your British politicians? Um, no, actually I I would I would say our parliament is probably a little bit more uh a little bit more indicative of the demographic of the entire country. You know, there's a big, there's a big portion of the country that's, you know, well, aging, right? And that's, you know, in the, the 40 to sort of 60 uh, sort of like big group. And so that is kind of reflected in, in Parliament. We don't have, I would say we have very few people, if any, above 80 years old. You find those in the House of Lords, but in... In, in the House of Commons, de- definitely not. And Lindsay Hoyle, bless him, he isn't actually that old. He just, I don't think he's aged very well, poor guy. <laughs> and he's your, he's your Speaker of the House. He is the Speaker of the House of Commons, yes. So what does the Speaker of the House mean for UK politics? 
Well, the Speaker of the House is supposed to be an impartial person, and and they control the debate in terms of who speaks, uh, what is and isn't allowed to be said, and he is there to, or he or she is there uh, to essentially make sure that um, debates are handled in a constructive manner. Now, what is what is the House? Is it is it the UK House of of Representatives? No. So we we have two major houses in Parliament, and that's the House of Commons, and that's where uh, MPs or ministers of part in part of Parliament uh, sit. And they're the elected officials, right? So like my local MP would sit in the House of Commons. And then you have a second house, uh, the House of Lords. And lords are set um, by usually government peerages. So you will just give, you you make people uh, lords and... It's like an appointment position. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But they they have quite a lot of power, to be fair. So they're unelected officials. Um, Love those. Yeah, exactly. That that have um, (laughs) ironically, we don't actually have many issues because of that. It's a very strange system that somehow seems to work sometimes. Like you have people that are unelected officials, and they don't tend to cause many cultural issues as as or or corruption based issues as you think they might do. It's very strange compared to if, I mean, their their powers are less uh, are less than what you would have it with a minister of parliament. Now, Essentially, it, their power is is, you know, the House of Commons makes some legislation, then it gets sent to the Lords, and the Lords, you know, vote on it or send it back for amendments. So that's the kind of thing that happens there. And then is the legislative process out coming out of the the House of Lords? Then does it go to the Prime Minister? To to no, for for final approval of or no 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 so so it would go to the queen or the king, but the king and queen at the moment they always sign it off. They never put up any uh, obligations or nothing. But technically, technically on paper, uh, the royal family could say no and send it. Then then what? Then the House of Lords sends it back to the House of Commons. Essentially, yeah, it, w- it would get sent back to the to the um, to the lower house to, to the House of Commons, and they would have to amend it and then send it to the Lords, and the Lords would have to approve it, and then yeah, so it's it's more like an approval process. But the overall legislation is tabled and amended by the House of Commons. So, in the House of Lords, are those are uh, they're appointed positions, and are they lifetime? Oh yeah, they're a lifetime. Huh? So what? So. A House of Lords appointment is only made when when one of the lords dies. No, no, or they resign, or it just gets bigger no. and bigger. Yeah, that's actually one of the biggest problems with the House of Lords wow. now. There's like there is a huge amount of people in the House of Lords, and one of the major policies that Labour wants to do is Labour wants to radically uh, the Labour Party in the UK. If they, if they get in, they want to radically change the way that the House of Lords works into a uh, more of an elected, and uh, well, at least at least put some kind of cap on how many people there can be in there. Because currently, it's just like it's just ridiculous. Um, and you've got people that are how that that are lords, right? And they never turn up, and they never 
participate, but they still get all the benefits of of being a lord. Well, the uh, that that was actually an interesting. It's an interesting element in American politics too, because people don't sh- don't show up. Like this is one of the things with with the whole Kevin McCarthy debacle, which, which we'll get into. One of the interesting parts about, or, or elements, I guess, of being a member of the House of Representatives is that you can you can vote affirmative, or you can vote negative, or you can not vote at all. You can just vote present, or you can abstain. And this is supposed to reflect in, in, your, in your voting record when people look back on, on your accomplishments. It was, uh, you know, kind of at the forefront of conversation when Kevin McCarthy was, was being voted in as speaker just nine long months ago. Right. Some of the Republicans would, would vote. They, they went from voting no to just voting present to give McCarthy okay. the number of affirmative votes that he needed to actually become the speaker. And so h- how does that process work? Is there like a nomination phase? It, like, how does that, how does someone go from person to speaker in the U S or so at least in that house? The speaker of the house can be any citizen of the United States. I, I think okay. Kevin McCarthy was a congressman in California before he became the speaker. But people were right. nominating Donald Trump to be the Speaker of the House. That would have been funny. In, in January. And of course, now people are voting or nominating him to be the Speaker of the House again, I, which would be, oh, I, I don't know uh, from a legal standpoint how, how great that would be. From a functional standpoint, <laughs> I don't know how great it would be, but yeah, I would be thrilled just for the fireworks of that, yeah, that, of that, that decision really to make Donald Trump the Speaker of the House. Oh, the media heads would explode. It would be so exciting. Yeah. I, would I feel just, like it'd be like one of his TV shows all over again, you know? That's just the, where, like, where I'm at. Like, I need to, I need to just vent because I'm, I'm so turned off by politics, primarily because it takes me down a dark path. I want to be positive and optimistic and hopeful. But when I look at the state of politics and mainly like the, the two tiered system of, of justice that exists, where we have, we had the January 6th, you know, protest on the Capitol grounds, which the media went out and screeched about being an insurrection and, and all Democrat politicians joined in the chorus it's an insurrection insurrection we're all gonna die and they threw people in in prison people that weren't even on the grounds people that were sending text messages into prison for 20 plus year sentences and really then we have jamal bowman democrat congressman pull a fire alarm in the building to delay a vote, which is against the law. It's disrupt- disruption of an official proceeding. It violates all of the laws that were violated by the January 6th protesters that were thrown in prison. Yet, no one is talking about bringing charges against Jamal Bowman because that would be ridiculous. He pulled the fire alarm. 
for some to, to to what to to delay a vote. He maybe it was to delay a vote. He said he thought it would unlock this this magnetically locked door that he needed to get through. Who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. What matters is that the Justice Department threw the book at these January 6th protesters because they were supporting the wrong political party. Yeah. And Jamal, Jamal Bowman will suffer no consequences because it would be a ridiculous thing to suffer consequences for. But when you look at, at the state of affairs, there's, there's no path to justice. And that's why I have a really hard time talking about politics and I want to, you know, make jokes about Dianne Feinstein and talk about electric cars and Brad Pitt movies. But sometimes things are just, <laughs> sometimes things are just too good to ignore. Yeah, they're too, yeah. I think what's really interesting, I think, just uh, in the world in general, is that the ability for the public to prosecute our leaders is extremely difficult. Like actual criminal prosecution, not like a public prosecution where they resign and then they go on to do speaking roles you know even someone like you know Boris Johnson that um genuinely did things that were illegal and he went through a process um in parliament where they they found that he did things that were uh illegal there is still no appetite to do any sort of formal prosecution uh and that it ha kind of happens over and over and over again. You, you see that some MPs, when they commit particularly heinous crimes, they end up going to jail. But nobody that, that would be like in a particularly high, high echelon of power, right? You might have like an MP that gets done full of sexual, sexual harassment or something like that. And that, and that happened with um, Chris Pincher, uh, I, I think, in the last year or so. Um, wasn't actually criminally prosecuted, but he was he was uh, exited from Parliament. So again, there, there's no real criminal prosecution there. I find it very strange. And it's this, as far as I'm, I'm aware, it's the same in, in the US, if not probably worse, is that really, if a politician commits a crime, it is basically impossible uh, to levy any kind of real prosecution against them unless they do something so blatantly bad and so blatantly obvious that to the prosecutors and to the local police and judiciary, it would almost be blatantly corrupt for them not to do something. Uh, and, and, and this would be stuff that would be so publicly foreseeable that they would have to physically do something. But anything that's sort of like kind of under the rug, kind of no one really knows much about it good luck and i find that such a weird phenomenon especially in the western world where compared to everywhere else seemingly we have much more transparency and there's much more process in there i don't know if you feel the same way well i think they should be held to the highest standard mm. i feel like politicians should be getting prosecuted and disciplined for things that the normal everyday person wouldn't be, you know, that they would, the average citizen would get the slap on the wrist, whereas the elected yeah, politician yeah. would feel the full brunt of, of the punishment. Yeah, I agree. It feels almost, it feels almost outrageous for someone to have an elevated amount of responsibility and permissions to do things 
and therefore have an elevated sense of what they're willing to get away with. That seems so backwards. Like, if you are, uh, if you have, let's say you're a prison guard and you have the keys to all the jail cells, right? That is a position of power, right? And you have been given that responsibility because you are somewhat qualified. But for you to then let all the prisoners out and then subsequently not have any criminal litigation put against you, that is essentially what the politicians are like. They have all this power. Then they do something that only really they can do. And then they don't see any criminal prosecution from that. It, 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 that I think that's basically what you're getting at. And I totally agree. Well, it's like the... Uh... There's every once in a while in the States, there's a story about a politician, usually like a low level local politician that yeah, gets always pulled over for drunk driving. Right. And it's it's inevitable. There's always the do you know who I am? <laughs> I, I could have your job for this. You better let me go. Yeah. Like I'm going to I'm going to wield my power to try to get myself off from, you know, being held accountable for this law that I just broke. When what it should really be is, yeah, this the, the, the officer should go to the press and say, yes, this elected official was pulled over for DUI. He threatened me with my job. And if and, and see, this this is one of the things that I hang my hat on when it comes to my my political beliefs. We would need so, so little political intervention in anything. If we had a trustworthy media that would amplify these stories that really matter. Like the thing with Dianne Feinstein and the Chinese spies and, and all of her, her, her husband's Chinese connected business dealings. Like one of the one of the articles that I sent you, which was I mean, I don't really want to get into it on the show because it's more of an opinion piece. And, and that's what we're here for. But it was it was mentioned in this article that oh, the Washington Post didn't pick up the, the Chinese spy story. The L.A. Times didn't pick up the Chinese spy story nobody wanted to talk about it yeah and this is why the stories of the low-level politicians get out because ah, nobody cares about the low-level politicians we'll report this story about the dui uh of the you know the city councilor because this will create the illusion of us actually doing our jobs and reporting on things that people should know about but when it's something major like Diane Feinstein employing a Chinese spy, we don't talk about it. And it's the, it's the same thing with Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and and probably Kevin McCarthy. And this is this is the dark path that I that I journey down. Like how much of a Justice Department would we need if we had an informed public that would say, oh, no. Diane Feinstein's a Chinese agent. We're not going to reelect her again. But instead, she gets elected again and again and again until she dies in friggin' office. That that must that that cannot be a thing. How yeah. how many how many votes did a completely mentally gone Diane Feinstein participate in? I mean, the Senate literally changed uh, the rules so that she could vote without being in the building. Who does yeah, that benefit? Crazy. No, Who they shouldn't does, have changed that. They shouldn't have changed that because that would have forced, forced to get rid of her. She should have resigned uh, uh, on her own. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fucking party should have stopped putting her up. That's the thing. 
they don't have to nominate her for that for that state. And they, yeah, you know, they, and they can, the well, and they can take a vote and say, uh, Diane Feinstein, you're clearly not fit for office, but no, we're going to keep, we're going to keep it going because, because why? Well, because the Republican leader in the Senate is also a Chinese subject because of his, his Chinese wife's connections to China and her father's, uh, business dealings with a massive shipping company that's based in China. I mean, it's, it's just, we, we have to protect ourselves from these things, but no one's, no one's willing to do it because it's my opinion that it's really the billionaire class that runs the world. And, and the media and the politicians are just pawns on the stage that are meant to create this illusion that we have some sort of choice in the matter. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, 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 even if you look at someone like Trump, I mean, he is a very, very wealthy individual. So there's just another bit of proof there. I mean, he, the, another guy, it, it, what's, what's that guy's name? Vivek, right? Yeah. He's yeah. another billionaire. It, I tell you what, if you have money, you can get into politics very easily. But, you know, there's not many people in politics that aren't either already connected or aren't connected to someone that is already connected. Yeah, well, it's very difficult. And, and what do you think about this? Uh, I I think it's, I think it's, I think it's bad. I think it's, I think it's obviously bad because whenever you have, if a billionaire decides that he himself wants to get involved in politics, Mm -hmm. is that better than a billionaire that wants to buy politicians? No, 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 no. Because if you have a billionaire that wants to buy politicians, but the politicians say no, then that's, that's completely okay. That's, you know, that's, that's not corrupt. Um, but if you have a billionaire that... Well, as long as he's doing politics, it, as long as he's doing it legally. Of course, right? Of course. Um, but, you know, of course, if he wants to do it, you know, lobbies wise and all that sort of stuff, you're not going to change that. And, and to be fair... If a billionaire gets in a gets into politics, they're going to take bribes anyways. So I, I'd much, I'd much rather the, I'd much rather someone that's extremely wealthy that wants to influence politics stays on the outside trying to influence people already in there that are elected officials than just going the the straight the straight route. And because uh, it's it's one thing to lobby politicians, but it's another thing to be a politician yourself. That level of power is completely different, completely different. And I think ultimately, our elected officials should be uh, people that represent the demographic of the host country. That's something that should be fairly uncontroversial to think, really, that yeah, if you I, look at a dem- it, yeah, it, it would take really strong character, I think, to be a billionaire have all these interests, global interests. I mean, this is one of the things that, that yeah. Vivek has, has taken criticism over, especially in the last debate. In the last debate, it was like multiple candidates piling on Vivek Ramaswamy because of his business dealings with China. And I don't yes. know, I mean, I, I want to brush it off because I really like Vivek. I, you know, he's, he's very presidential. Um, he's young, he's 37, he's barely old enough to run for president. Mm-hmm. But he is 
connected to China. He does have business interests in China. And I don't know. I think this is the thing as well. Like, like how many regular people in the US, just regular people that you see, you know, in Starbucks or down the street, how many of those people do you really think are going to be connected to China? Right. And then you look at how many massive business executives, billionaires, and other elite figures. These are people that are already connected through just working. You would imagine that someone that's at the height of their business career would have connections to all kinds of businesses in all kinds of areas, right? And therefore, they're going to have those things. So, but compared to the rest of the, uh, the country, they don't give a flying fuck about having business connections to China. All they give a shit about is their local area. And those are the people that should be in power. Right. But it's completely the barrier to entry is so insanely high because the amount of money it takes to campaign and get votes is so super high because you're having to compete with billionaires. <laughs> you're having to compete with billionaires and, and, and their resources. You know, it's just like commercial advertising. You're advertising yourself and that takes a, a great deal of resources and time. And, you know, you can't have a job. Because your full-time job is advertising yourself and doing speeches and, and rallies and campaigns and stuff. So that is kind of reserved for people in power. And it's, and it's been like that for a, a great deal of time. It's a little bit less so here in the UK. You don't have, you have obviously some very you know, wealthy individuals in, in Parliament. But there are plenty of stories about people that were just regular Joes and then joined a party and then became nominated and, and won their constituency. And I'm sure there's a few in there in America that are like that. But I, I yeah, I just think it's it's just uh it's not that I don't want people to be billionaires. I just think it's a bit outrageous for people to think that that is going to be a representative legislative body. I think becoming uh, yeah. I, I think becoming a billionaire in these modern times requires a certain level of corruption. Only because it seems like that's what drives most of the corrupt people. And yeah. if you're in a game with a bunch of backstabbing bastards, you're going to have to backstab at, at least once or, or twice. And it happens. I, you know, I, I hear story after story about, especially as it pertains to Donald Trump and, and his uh, uh, endorsements. Uh, I just heard a story about a, a, a woman he endorsed for for Congress, you know, with sort of the understanding that when these impeachment votes were going to be levied against him, that she would have his back. Well, he made the endorsement and then she didn't have his back. And I, I, I just don't know. I mean. How are we supposed to get ahead as the constituency when politicians are just horrible, lying bastards? And then the yeah, media sure. and, and then yeah. the media covers it up because this corrupt lying bastard that's supposed to be representing me was actually his his campaign has been financed by the same company that owns the paper. Yeah. 
and I'm, but I'm supposed to make an informed decision when, when I go to vote. Yeah. I mean, I, from the outside looking in, it's America's, gross. I can't stand it. It's terrible. <laughs> it's so, it's so bad. But from the outside looking in America's biggest problem is that you have two major parties that basically control the narrative and, you know, bureau, bureaucratically wise, they're very similar to each other. Uh, the major differences really is just around opinion and, and, and what they believe in. Well, and but, one of the really interesting things about this, this ordeal with Kevin McCarthy. So if you haven't been paying attention on, in the last 24 hours, Kevin McCarthy was just removed as Speaker of the House by the Republican majority. And it's, it's created a lot of controversy. But I think let's, uh, we should get into this by hearing from Matt Gates. Oh, yes. I got yes, a, couple, yes, yes. a couple clips. Okay. Um, because he sort of led the charge against Kevin McCarthy. Um, because he, he broke promises. What do you say when he says that this is personal for you? For some people, policy failures are uh, recast as personal because their own failures are personally embarrassing to them. This isn't personal. I can cite to you the specific elements of House rules that have been violated. Kevin McCarthy agreed to a rule that we would have 72 hours to read legislation. He blew past that. Kevin McCarthy agreed to a rule that we would uh, not put anything over $100 million on the suspension agenda so that it couldn't be amended. He blew past that. Kevin McCarthy agreed to the Hastert rule, which is that you would never use a major the Democrats to roll a majority of the majority. On the last Ukraine supplemental, 101 Republicans voted for it, 117 Republicans voted against it. So this doesn't, does this sound personal to you? I'm pointing to specific things that Kevin agreed to that he hasn't complied with. He's just trying to subjugate his real and significant breaches of our agreement as some sort of personal dispute. But that's just more about him than it says about what we're trying to do to change Washington. It sounds a little bit personal. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like Matt Gates, when, when the speaker vote took place back in, in January, Matt Gates was very against Kevin McCarthy. He did not want Kevin right. McCarthy and he didn't want Kevin Why? McCarthy <clears throat> because he is, he represents what we're all affectionately referring to as the Uniparty in Washington, which is, uh, what he, which is what he was referring to when he talked about using the Democrats to roll the majority, which is basically, so, so the Speaker of the House, he decides what legislation that the congressmen vote on. So he'll send legislation to a committee, which he is also responsible for appointing. If the, if the legislation passes the committee, then it's eligible for a vote on the floor. I think I'm getting this right. I'm not a political scientist. So if Kevin McCarthy doesn't say so, this, no legislation gets voted on. So Kevin McCarthy would, will put, would put forward legislation that the Democrats wanted and also Republican uniparty activists. So that the legislation would pass with a majority of Republican support and a, and a, a majority of Democrat support and a minority of Republican support. Well, this is just kind of a slap in the face to the Republican majority because they should be 
I mean, they, they set the rules, they designate what legislation is getting voted on. And so Kevin McCarthy was in a very powerful position as the Speaker of the House. And in this most recent, uh, well, they, they call it a continuing resolution, which is basically we're going to vote to continue funding the government at the same levels that it was last time we voted on a budget. So I think twice now, Kevin McCarthy has asked the Republican majority to vote on a continuing resolution that was based on a budget deal regulated by Nancy Pelosi. Horrible troll. Democrat, previous Democrat Speaker of the House. So it does sound a little bit personal coming from Matt Gaetz. but he led the charge. And, and the number one thing I think that set him off is, is this, this backdoor deal that he talks about uh, in this clip here. I rise to raise a question. What was the secret side deal on Ukraine? House Democrats and President Biden have said that as Speaker McCarthy... So he's, he's on the floor of the House talking directly to Kevin McCarthy right now. He was asking Republicans to vote for a continuing resolution so as to avoid having to take the Senate's plus up in Ukraine money that the Speaker of the House was actually cutting a side deal to bring Ukraine legislation to this floor with President Biden and House Democrats. So let me get this straight. To extend Joe Biden's spending and Joe Biden's policy priorities, the Speaker of the House gave away to Joe Biden the money for Ukraine that Joe Biden wanted. It is going to be difficult for my Republican friends to keep calling President Biden feeble while he continues to take Speaker McCarthy's lunch money in every negotiation. The Speaker of the House has responded to these reports of a secret side deal on money for Ukraine, opaquely stating that he still wants to fund Ukraine and our border. I have a few replies to this statement. First, I should just interject here because there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy and maybe that's enough. But there's a lot of controversy. Yeah. About this decision, ab- about the spending bill, about sending more money to Ukraine, about funding border security. But what I've seen from mainstream Republican media personalities is that they will say, we had funding for the border wall and Matt Gates and his, you know, motley crew of republican extremists they voted against it well they voted against it because they didn't want the funding for ukraine and the democrats voted against border security because they wanted the funding for ukraine now i don't know i i have a hard time making a decision on the funding for ukraine for reasons that i've you know brought up before we can't Mm -hmm. let we you can't let a country just invade one of your allies and then be like okay cool but you also can't just endlessly fund a war without becoming involved yourself. I mean, I, I don't want America to go to war against Russia, 
But I also don't want America to just be bled dry by a forever war in Ukraine like we were bled dry by a forever war in Afghanistan. It's a difficult decision to make. Yeah. But, but I don't have to make it because I'm not a politician. Yeah. And this is one of the things that Matt Gate wanted. One of the rules that was violated by Kevin McCarthy that we were supposed to have single subject spending bills. Do we want to send another hundred billion kajillion to Ukraine? Yes or no? Not do we want to secure the border and provide, you know, uh, uh, the military with a defense budget and then also fund Ukraine? It was yes, no on defense. Yes, no on Department of Homeland Security. Yes, no on Ukraine. These are the reasons that Kevin McCarthy isn't the Speaker of the House anymore. But I think the thing that set the ball in motion is people finding out about this backdoor deal that McCarthy did with Democrats just in an attempt to remain the Speaker. It's my belief that he cut this deal with Democrats hoping that when Matt Gates showed up and said, you son of a bitch, we're going to, you're, you're out that they would maybe vote against him being removed as the speaker of the house because he was doing shady deals to try to curry favor. What do you think about that from a UK perspective? I mean, from a UK perspective, yeah. I mean, like, first of all, our legislation, when you make a bill, uh, when you make amendments or add things to the bill, it has to be significantly close to the starting topic. So you can't just add random shit to it like you can in, a, in America. You can't have something about immigration and then tack on a trillion dollar bill for Ukraine. Like you just, it's just not possible. It will get shot down in the house straight away. And actually, no, it, it will kill the bill straight up. Uh, and the speaker in the UK has. Uh, he has significant power, sure, but not significant power over legislation necessarily. Uh, more power over uh, the process in which things uh, move through the House, sec- readings, second readings, debates, th- th- these kind of things. Um, less so about the actual content of these bills, which is sort of surprising to me that the speaker that's supposed to be an impartial sort of like babysitter for our uh, elected officials has actually so much power. I, I didn't actually know this, uh, that it seems like Kevin McCarthy had a great deal of power to actually, uh, you know, steer the direction of the, the legislative content itself, not the process, but the actual content of the legislation itself which is rather scary to be honest because essentially you could elect a speaker that you like and then they would just ram through stuff that suits you which is fine i guess if you believe in that as a person but you know that is rampant for exploitation as matt gutz has as as said 
Although I think you're right, he probably started with a personal hatred of him, and then found you know uh, actual reasons for why he uh, he he subsequently uh, got rid of him after the fact that you know just well, the, to cover his ass a little bit. So. The reason that Kevin McCarthy got elected to the speakership is because he agreed to these rules that Matt Gates and his sort of subcommittee demanded they said no we want we want single subject spending bills we want 72 hours to read new legislation and and one of the the other rules that they wanted was we want uh one person one person can call for a vote to vacate the seat of the speaker and McCarthy agreed to all of these things, and this is why he was allowed to become the speaker. This, is, this was how he earned enough votes to be elected speaker. So then he started, and then he started breaking all these rules. He started not doing all of these things. Like, I don't see how he can get up in front of the cameras and say, oh, you know, I have no regrets. I think I did a good job. I would do it again. I was doing the right thing. I'm, uh, you know, I'm so proud to be an American. I, I, I can't help but look at his, I mean, should, should we listen to it? I, I, have the, I, I have the clip. Good evening, all. He's trying to be positive. You know, President Abraham Lincoln once said, I'm an optimist because I don't see any other way. Quotes Lincoln. If you ever come to my office, you'll see the portraits of Lincoln and Reagan. Oh, yeah, Kevin, we'd we'd come to your office, but it's packed full of activists. If Reagan gave us advice, he would say, if you believe your principles bring people greater freedom, you should be happy about it. I've I've always been excited that I've been a happy conservative. But I've always believed that I've been so fortunate to be an American. My journey to this office was something people wouldn't understand. I grew up in a town of Bakersfield, California, the son of a firefighter, the grandson of immigrants. Parents worked hard, the youngest in my family. Didn't have great wealth and got out of high school, I didn't have great grades. Couldn't get a scholarship, went to community college. Flipped cars to try to pay my way through it. Went to visit some buddies. Away in college for a weekend. Stopped at the grocery store to cash a check, and I won the lottery. One of the first in California. It was before Biden economics. It was only 5000 but it went much further back then. Took my folks to dinner. Put the majority of the rest of the money into the stock market and did pretty well. The next semester, I took a break from school. I went to buy a franchise, but no one said they would sell me one. I was only 20 years old. But I learned then never to give up. So I opened my own business, selling sandwiches. Three things I learned. First to work, last to leave, last to be paid. I wanted to finish my college degree. At that time, no one in my family had finished a four-year degree. I did pretty well. I now had enough money that I could pay my way through school as long as I went to Cal State. So I sold my business, going to school. I opened up the local paper and said, be a summer intern in Washington, D.C. with my local congressman. I did not know this man, but I thought he'd be lucky to have me, so I applied. And you know what he did? He turned me down. But you want to know the end of the story? 
I got elected to a seat I couldn't get an internship for. I ended up being the 55th Speaker of the House. For only nine months, time. you slime ball. I loved every minute. He, you, he filled his I freaking pockets. <laughs> he filled his freaking pockets doing favors for elites. And it took nine months for us to figure out what he was doing. Then he went behind all the Republicans' backs and cut a deal with the Democrats so that he could stay in power because he saw the writing on the wall. He knew that he had been screwing over the people that voted for him since he got elected to the speakership. They had to fight him tooth and nail to get him to adhere to the rules that he agreed to in order Mm -hmm. to garner the votes to become the speaker. And now he's out and he's pretending and he's he's saying, oh, I'll never regret doing the right thing. Uh, Where does like following the rules that you agreed to fall in in the spectrum of doing the right thing, Kevin? Where? Yeah, doing the right thing for a speaker should be being as impartial and objective as possible. Like there is no morality really for a speaker. And I would be the worst politician because I, I, I would get up, I'd get up in front of a press conference and they'd be like, so what do you, what do you feel about these, about these views? What, what do you think about funding the border? My response would be, well, uh, what I believe doesn't really matter. I think my constituents feel that I should be representing them in a way that suggests that we should uh, fund border security and we should build the wall. And I believe this only because this is what my constituents have elected me to uh, to believe or, you know, something like some I'm not I have no desire to be a politician. And that's one of the reasons, because I would insist that my personal views are irrelevant because your personal views as a politician are irrelevant, in my opinion, mm-hmm. until they align with the beliefs of your constituency. That's why you're there. That's why you're, you're in Washington, D.C., because the people elected you to represent them in Washington. Well, now we just elect scumbags that are getting bribes from billionaires that don't really care what the constituents believe because, uh, Oh, I don't know. Maybe the billionaires are going to pull some strings as, as it pertains to, uh, the, the rigging of, of elections, for example, like, uh, Oh, say Mark Zuckerberg dumping 400 plus million dollars into the election systems in swing States. And this is why I can't talk about politics <laughs> because I don't really believe that politics is, or a, a, what's the word? Uh, uh, an institution of integrity. Mm-hmm. It's the billionaires, at least in this country. It sounds like you've actually got a prayer in the UK, but I don't know. You're, you're, you're facing the same sort of, of struggles that we're facing in this country. Like I was really blown away when you uh, sent me that clip of, of all of the looting and rioting that was happening in the UK. I thought that was just uh, yeah. a United States thing. No, no, it's, it's such a huge problem. That's that, that was getting bad. And then this year has become nuclear. Um, so, well, I thought it was really suspicious that all of the, the, the crazy immigration was happening in, yeah. all the, in all the Western countries. Yes, yes, yes. I just, 
it's just kind of a red flag for me. You know, like we're on the border of Mexico, adjacent to South America, where there's a lot of poverty and people want to immigrate to the United States for a better life and, and, and more power to them. I believe that if you want to come to this country, you should go through the process, fill out the paperwork, let us know who you are, where you live. You know, how are we going to be getting taxes from you? You're going to be using our schools. You're going to be using our social systems. You're going to be driving on our roads. We need you to pay some taxes. Sorry about it. Nobody likes paying taxes, but, but that's the way it should go. Come here and get a better life. Come here and work hard and, you know, enjoy some American luxuries. But in the UK, you're on an island. Like nobody's walking to the UK. Nobody's hopping, no. hopping across the border. No, 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 no. To no. Get the only way the to UK. get in, exactly. The only way to get in is on you know the small boats. The you know yeah. politicians talk constantly talking about the small boats, small Row boats, small boats, small boats. Yeah, that's right. You know the Viking. <laughs> you know Viking invaders are coming in, uh, as well as you know people that are hiding out in you know. Uh, truck trailers, I guess. Uh, uh, but you know, that's it's very, very difficult for them to do that. But it's still uh, in the name it, it, of uh, of making a better life for themselves. That's what of, they say. Of course, yeah, of, of course, yeah. And it's um, you know, compared to, I mean, illegal immigration in this country is large, but compared to normal immigration, where people go through a normal process, is it's about 10%. So I think 10% of our immigration is probably illegal immigration. Are they, you know, are have- there rules against, uh, you know, employers for hiring illegal immigrants? Yeah, you're not allowed. You're not allowed. And, and you can be put in jail for a long, long time. We have a, a similar system that this was actually one of the things that uh, was sort of in discussion with the budget deal in the house was uh, e-verify which is you know connecting your the, the social security number that your employee gives you with the actual employee and if they don't right. uh, i i believe if they don't connect their social security numbers then they don't get they they can't uh they can't be reimbursed like they can't claim that salary on their taxes they they can't claim it as a loss so they don't they have to pay the all the taxes on that <coughs> on that money but uh i i was really surprised that they that that with with all of this crazy immigration you know like like they say 5 million people crossed and and another however many million uh got away you know like I, I I don't I don't know how I don't know how they can tell us with a straight face that they know how many people came in illegally when they didn't go through a, a designated border crossing they just went through a gap in the fence or swam across a river. Yeah, that that to me is like I mean in the UK it's a lot easier because they have to physically go across like a body of water and so there are only a few places where you can like do that and not a lot of places to hide on on. Not not many trees to hide behind or bushes to conceal yourself. No, like you, you can't do it by you can't do it by Dover because there's like 
200 foot high like chalk cliffs you know so it's like you have to there are certain places where you know the distance between us and france is really short and so the police just kind of hang out there and then they're you know the the illegal immigrants they want to be captured by the police uh because they can't be deported if they claim asylum so their objective is not to go straight into the country and 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 just like disappear uh, I think this is why we see videos them. too. There, there's videos all over the place of uh, border agents like cutting barbed wire fences to let immigrants in. Uh, I, I think it's a similar situation. This, these groups. I mean, of course, it's it's crazy outrage from the Republicans, but I think it's because this group of immigrants they all say asylum, asylum, asylum. You know, let us in. We we need this this asylum. And I, I don't know. I mean. Venezuela, it, it, like we're getting a lot of Venezuelans. That's in the news. Venezuela is a, a country destroyed by communism. I don't know why. So it, it, illegal immigrants, they can't vote in the UK, right? No, 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 no. And, and they, no, can't, I, they can't vote here either yet. But it's, it, it, I, I, I just don't. One of the arguments against this illegal immigration or one of the, the alarm bells that the Republican media personalities like to ring all the time is all oh, these, these Democrats, they're, they're moving these, so like Philadelphia, for or Pennsylvania, more appropriately. Um, they just passed, I think through executive fiat, which is not constitutionally legal. Uh, declared that everyone who gets a driver's license also gets registered to vote. Well, if they're going to give a, a, a lot of states will give anyone a driver's license. I don't know about Pennsylvania, but this is some of the screeching that comes from the right. Oh, they're giving these illegal immigrants the right to vote. I, but I don't know why they think that these Venezuelans, for example, fling, fleeing the communist destruction of their country, would come to America and, and first of all, would want to vote. Second mm. of all, would, would vote for these Democrats that are touting the same communist policies that have destroyed the country that they're just fleeing from. That, that doesn't connect for me. I mean, now maybe they would just do what they're told. But what I think is more likely is that these blue states and blue cities that have been terribly mismanaged and destroyed by the same Democrats' communist policies, they want to maintain their power in the federal government. So we have the census every year. Or, or every four years or however many years. It's definitely not every year. I misspoke. Yeah. Well, one of the things that the media freaked out on Donald Trump about was that he suggested a question of citizens, citizenship be added to the census. And they all freaked out. No, no, we can't do that. That's racist. That's terribly racist. You horrible misogynist. I can't believe you would suggest such a racist thing as to ask the people that are living in this country, if they're legal American citizens. Well, they freaked out about that, in my opinion, because if the question of citizenship is on the census, first of all, it requires the people filling out the census to 
answer it honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But second of all, if you're Gavin Newsom, for example, the governor of California, who really wants to be president next, God help us all. You have people fleeing your state of California because you've turned it into a hellscape with your Marxist policies. Well, if a census rolls out and shows that you lost 2 million people in in Los Angeles County, that means you're going to have less representation in Congress, which means fewer Democratic Congress people. So if you allow 2 million migrants to come into your country, well, then you can at least maintain your same level of federal influence. So I think it's more about, or, or maybe the, uh, the silver lining or the, the worst case scenario is that if these migrants don't vote the way the Marxist Democrats hope they will vote, Mm-hmm. At least they'll respond to the census and show that the levels of, of population in the states are at least close enough to justify their same level of representation in the federal government. Is anything like that? Did it, does anything like that occur in the UK? Like how, how like the, the population does impact the representation in parliament, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, for example, a common misconception is that immigrants vote more left-leaning parties. And that's just wrong. It's just straight wrong. Uh, If you look at, like, you know, first, second generation immigrants to this country, particularly from more conservative uh, countries like Pakistan, uh, India, which have very large populations here in the UK, even even places like Poland, East, East Europe, that kind of stuff. They they quite often vote for the conservatives. They quite often vote for whatever happens to be the more right leaning uh, person because they hold more conservative uh, values. And so I would definitely say that you know that is representative of of that democratic and you know somewhere like London, which has more left leaning places. You know you find. A lot of people from, let's say, uh, more Caribbean backgrounds, they don't tend to vote as much for um, writing and stuff. They they tend to vote more for for labor. You find a lot of Africans, they vote a lot more uh, right-leaning, I would say, like a lot more of of that nature. Um, But London, on the whole, is a more left-leaning place. As you you imagine, you know, it's a massive urban area of of many different walks of life, and, and so generally speaking large urban areas tend to be a little bit more left-leaning and that's the case probably around the world you know san francisco la new york giant these are big you know urban environments same in same in canada you know vancouver toronto these places and then you find the more rural areas um are i wouldn't i wouldn't say right-leaning it always sounds bad to say that but i would say they have more conservative values and so I would say, on the whole, like if I look at Parliament, uh, I would say it's. It, I would say the the split of the majority is probably pretty representative of what the country is. You know, half of the people in the country 
are a little bit more left-leaning, and the other half of the country is probably a little bit more right-leaning. And that, and then there's a few outliers, you know, people that believe in the Greens, and so they vote Green, and people like the Lib Dems, and so they, you know, vote for the Lib Dems. And then there's Welsh parties and Northern Ireland and Scotland and all those sort of sort of things that that are in there. And so overall, I think the representation in terms of parties is is probably about right. But the politicians themselves within those parties, I think that's where the representation gets a little bit weird because um, you have, you know, very uh, you have figures in there that obviously do not represent what their constituents are. And that's due to the fact that people tend to vote for the party and not for the MP themselves. And that's just because we have this stupid first-past-the-post system which benefits... Uh, which... <sighs> it benefits existing incumbent parties far more than outside you know, parties that want to to get in because you essentially because <clears throat> they're more for, popular, right? Exactly, right? Yeah, and so you, you end up with a situation where a party might get nineteen percent of the vote, like UKIP did, and only got like one seat because that's just the way it works. And uh, but yeah, if I had to say at the moment, I, I I would say that you know people talk about oh, you know the the Tories don't represent, you know, and it's not representative. It's like okay, you're you're just wrong. You're just wrong because a great deal of people vote for the Conservatives all the time. Uh, that's older generations, that's um, second, third generation immigrants, that's great deal of people in the country. Uh, you know, people just think that London or, you know, Manchester or Birmingham, people think that that is like the voting population of the UK and, and, it's, and it's just wrong. And I would be very, you know, upset if someone was to say, like, you know, it's sort of weird that the Tories keep winning, and it's just not the case. It's like that is what people want. They want this. They might not want it now because of the the situations that have been going through with the Tories, but you can't deny a result that Boris Johnson got in 2019. You can't deny that. He completely and utterly crushed the other party. And that's just because that's what people wanted at the time. They didn't want radical leftist policies. They the UK population still does not want radical leftist policies, and now they're now they're in a position. I think the public is in a position where they don't really subscribe to the fiscal policy that the Conservatives have, and also some of the confusing elements of the party, where the Conservatives simultaneously have quite aggressive uh, policies on immigration and quite aggressive policies on inclusion and the environment and these things are very difficult for people to weigh up in their head because they might agree with the immigration part but they will definitely not agree with the net zero or green thing and so i think for them a lot of people are getting turned off the tories just because they don't know what to expect i think sometimes it's a little bit easier to ex to know what to expect from somebody like trump or somebody like matt gatz uh, for example or someone even like Biden, you kind of know what to expect. You expect someone that's eating ice cream. <laughs> it, it, yeah, like <laughs> it's not like children. anyone was. That's the thing. It's it's not like anyone was particularly surprised that Biden was doing so, certain things. It, you know, it's like it's like was anyone really surprised that after Biden was sworn in that he became this sleepy figure? That you know, I don't think anyone was surprised. P people don't like him. 
but I don't think they were surprised. Whereas I think at the moment, people are being extremely surprised by the behavior of the conservatives in this country, the amount they're willing to spend on social programs, especially is extremely surprising to a lot of uh, typical conservative voters. Swing voters are going to do whatever they want, want to do. But typical conservative voters, I think they are very, very concerned and very surprised with how much they have changed in such a little amount of time. You know, ever since COVID. Well, do the... They, yeah. Do the yeah. conservative policies in the UK sort of mirror the conservative policies in in the United States? Like, no, definitely not. Where do they where do they come down on on you know the issues you mentioned, spending and and immigration and and things like that? Okay, so immigration they take publicly a hard stance on, but in reality they they do nothing. Uh, to prevent people coming to this country, what is a hard? Um, what's a hard stance look like for a, a UK conservative in terms of immigration? Oh, a, a hard, st- a hard stance is like, no, we don't want. We we want to cap the like uh, shut the border to immigration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the, you know, Theresa May, for example, back in twenty, I believe twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, former uh, prime she, minister. Yeah, the uh, former prime minister Theresa May. She she said she wanted to put a cap uh, on immigration of of any sort, illegal or otherwise, uh, at a hundred thousand people a year. And that same year, there was a hundred and eighty thousand, I believe. Uh, and today we have Whoops. you know net migration of five hundred thousand. And this is and this is after Woo. we've done simultaneous campaigns on you know stopping small boats, stopping immigration, stopping this, stopping that. Blah, 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 blah. So there. And this is completely in stark difference, okay, completely in stark difference, where you have, in America, you seem to have people that don't like immigration, that are in politics, but they are sort of powerless to do anything about it because it's federally controlled rather than sort of state controlled. Whereas here in the UK, we don't have that problem. We could, if we really wanted to, just shut them. I don't think, personally, I don't think it's a good idea, but... We could, if we wanted to, just just put it to an end. I understand why they're not doing that, because we have an aging population and we desperately need people to do stuff around here. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's very odd for them to simultaneously, you know, say immigration bad and then do nothing about it. And I think people are starting to pick up on that, that the, the Tories aren't really doing anything about the immigration thing. And that you know, to a lot of people, is a is a serious thing. It, it, to some people, they view immigration as number uno. Okay, another one just to go on is um, green policies. Surprisingly, as a conservative party, conservative, right? They are extremely, extremely green. Uh, they have net zero plans. They have uh, sustainability quotas. They have laws and regulations are, uh, that it, they have put in themselves that regulate companies to do green things, to make sure they're pushing sustainability things. There is uh, other things around inclusion, um, pushing inclusion regulation. There's uh, new offices set up for um, culture. There was the previous culture head, uh, Nadine Doris, who's now uh, subsequently resigned. But she uh, you know, she she would look after all the cultures. So there are lots of things here that, that we, you would never find in the Republican Party. Again, another one is the level of public spending, not on infrastructure, not on something around economy, not even on defense. Like the defense spending 
is is basically zero compared to America, not as a number, but as a percentage of GDP. It, you know, and the conservative have almost zero appetite for increasing it. Um, but the amount they're willing to spend on social programs like the furlough uh, program in in COVID, where they paid eighty percent of everyone's wages in the UK. I mean, that's just it's just that is going above and beyond for okay. for the it duration was, of the lockdown. Fuck yeah. Yeah. For like a, a year and a half or something. It was a great deal of time. You know, that's way over the, the new Holy energy supplement smokes. that they're doing. Okay. So they paid basically everyone's energy bill for like a, for like a year. That was like another 65 billion or something they spent on that. Um, and, th- and they just send that to everyone, right? They just send that to everyone. It was just, a, just f- not, not even like, oh, you qualify for it and then you get it. They sent that to every <laughs> single UK citizen. Just make so, it rain. That's it. And so oh. you start to think about it and you think, where is the conservative line on this? They're not conservative about family values, okay, because they do all this inclusion shit and they want to push, you know, trans rights and all this sort of stuff. And they want to push into education and this, that and the other. Okay, fine. That's f- totally fine. But it's, it's, I mean, it's not conservative. Um, they're not conservative about using money because they're simultaneously cutting back on HS2, which is an infrastructure project, which usually... That's completely fine. You know, the Republicans, conservatives, they love doing uh, infrastructure projects because usually that means jobs. That means economies. Uh, that well, means it also means yeah. something you can point to. Like, look, I did right, that. Right. You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's always but good. No, they're, they're taking the opposite thing. They're, they're, they're taking something out of Labour's rule book, which is basically cutting back on infrastructure, cutting back on massive government spending plans. Um, for long-term projects and just smashing it. I mean, literally ramming it straight into the the, the population uh, through social projects. And they are starting to wind the, some of these down now as, as not because they don't want to do them, but but their fiscal viability is literally not there anymore. They don't have any money anymore. And that's why they're having to cut back because their debt obligations for all the stuff that they've been paying for throughout COVID, throughout the energy crises, they've become so large now that we have no money to do anything else. And this is what I'm very, very confused about. Okay. And I'm really struggling to wrap my head around this because you have very conservative people in the conservative party you have the ERG, the European Research Group, which um, are Eurosceptics and more libertarian types, should we say? I, I, not totally, but kind of. Um, they, they, they quite often have some interesting ideas that always fall flat on their face because they can't do simple maths and <laughs> you know ask ask Liz Truss about that. Um, that's <laughs> essentially what happens when they get in power. Um, and then you have like you know people like Suella Braverman and Priti Patel that are that are more culturally conservative. Okay, so they're your culturally conservative people. They don't like immigration, even though they're sort of like second or third generation immigrants themselves, which is always a funny thing to think about. Um, and also they they do a lot of cultural things, and they're conservative about police. They like police, and they like you know law and order and, and this and these sort of things. And then and then you get someone like Jeremy Hunt that's. Um, very pragmatic, very objective about the economy, but at the same time will go on TV and try and explain why it's a good idea to take a bunch of you know public tax fund funded money and just smash it right into the economy again. Um, and I, I half think that he is doing that because he has to. I can't 
because some of the other things he comes out with make a lot of sense. But when it's a party line, he toes the line. And then you get Rishi Sunak, which is sort of someone that I believe is, is very hard to read. I don't think he puts on this very sort of moderate, you know, plain Jane face. But I think behind the scenes, that guy is just as bad as Boris Johnson, probably. He's probably got a better process, you know, than, than just sort of like the, you know, just running the, running the country sort of randomly. Um, but I, I definitely think it's more of a wolf in sheep's clothing sort of thing. And, and his, his leadership has been anything but conventional. Um, and so that, that's where it really is. I mean, if you, yeah, the, the comparison is, is chalk and cheese. You can't make any comparisons between Republicans and conservatives. There is none. Um, because the Republicans, well, as far as I understand, would never stand for something like the energy support bill we had, where it was basically paying everyone's energy bill. That seems like, that doesn't seem very conservative at all. I don't know about you. What's your opinion on this? So, you know, hearing this as an American, what's your thoughts? Well, the first thing that comes into my mind is kind of a crazy kooky idea. And that would be like, why, why don't we maybe mandate because, okay, in, in the States for the, uh, COVID through, through the whole COVID pandemic. And I think even still continuing to this day in some areas, there was a, an eviction moratorium, right? You can't kick people out of their houses because we had to lock down and maybe they can't pay their rent. Well, so what about maybe, um, like, <laughs> here's a great an- anecdote. Not one of my finest moments. <laughs> I was trying to. So we were, uh, we were canceling one of our credit cards and I was moving. We, we so we were trying to take advantage of one of these cash back deals that they give you right. on, 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 you know, Hey, you get 1% back on all your purchases. Okay. So we were trying to be real slick and clever and we thought, Oh, Hey, let's buy some, let's buy some new windows. We'll buy some new win windows. It's 4,000 bucks. You know, 1% of 4,000. It's, it's not much, but <laughs> it's better to save some money than not save any money. Yeah. So we were, we made a couple of big purchases, but we had all of our monthly bills go onto the credit card. And the idea was, Oh, we'll get the monthly bills on the credit card and we'll pay them we'll pay them off and we'll get that 1% cash back and we'll get good credit. I mean, it sounds like a great idea on paper. It didn't really work out as well as we had intended. So once we paid it all the way down, we closed it and moved everything. We were moving all of our monthly bills now away from this credit card. Mm. So I thought when it came to the electric bill, I thought I went in there and moved the payment method from the credit card to just directly come out of the bank account. What I actually did was delete the credit card, not appoint a new payment method, and we went for about six months without paying our electric bill. Accidentally. They didn't, they didn't send us anything in the mail. They didn't send us an email or anything like that to say, hey, uh, were you ever going to pay your electric bill again? Because I, I swear, and this was a couple of years ago now, we, we've since caught up. 
But we didn't pay. We we paid our electric bill. the The last time we had paid our electric bill was May, and then we learned in in I think December that we hadn't been paying our electric bill. <laughs> and fortunately, the power company didn't shut our electricity off for six months. Yeah. We didn't pay our bill, and they allowed us to just slowly pay down the balance i think we paid an extra 40 or 50 bucks a month until we made up the difference right so when you ask why why were why would the government or 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 what's a better solution to having the government pay the energy bills i think the better solution is to is for the government to say uh don't turn anybody's power off let them pay this down incrementally. But I, I mean, I understand not a lot of people can do that. I don't know necessarily that I'm a fan of the idea of any more government regulation. Um, but also, and this is was one of the, the funny things I, I read this uh, article a few days ago in, in, discussion of the pandemic and i found it really sort of nauseating that the language surrounding the pandemic and the lockdowns now is oh we were just the economy was just ravaged by the covid pandemic Uh, no no not really the economy was ravaged by your covid policies like we're Mm -hmm. all just Mm -hmm. meant to forget that our elected representatives all jumped in this on the CCP bandwagon and said, yes, let's lock it down. Let's lock it down. Never mind that China has a crumbling economy that desperately needs the rest of the world to, to slow down and, and allow them to catch up. We're, we're going to forget about that reality when we allow agents of the Chinese communist party to whisper in the ear of our elected officials about how great an authoritarian lockdown would be for, for the mitigation of this pandemic, which now many people are calling the flu. Yeah, we're rolling. I'm not, I'm not going to get going on COVID. I'm not. I don't know that the government paying the energy bills. I mean, look, it's my opinion that the people that own the energy companies are the same people that own the politicians. So if an energy company is lobbying a politician to pay the energy bills of these people that can't make ends meet because of uh, completely idiotic COVID lockdown policies, I think, nah, you should probably, you should probably just, just deal with that. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, they're your politicians, right? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know the name of your, your energy company, but I would say, Hey, energy company, these are, the politicians that you financed that thought it would be a good idea to lock everybody down so that they can't pay these, these energy bills that you want them to pay when it becomes just paying them with tax dollars. I mean, that's, that's where I start to get upset about Ukraine funding and I start to get upset about, uh, you know, vaccine mandates and I get upset about uh, strategic petroleum reserves because these are just massive billion dollar companies that are helping themselves to the tax funds 
of these populations. Yeah. Like who, who, who pays to fill up the strategic petroleum reserves? Uh, American taxpayers, UK taxpayers. Who, who paid for all of these vaccine doses that they were giving away for free, quote unquote? Oh, they're free. Everybody can get one. Everybody can get five. As many as you want. Just get one in each arm every three months. Taxpayers have got it. This isn't the, <laughs> this isn't the benevolence of Pfizer. It's the American government saying, hey, Pfizer. Remember when you gave us all of that money into our political campaigns? Well, hey, check it out. We're going to buy, we're, we're going to make you all crazy billionaires because we got all this tax money. It's just this big pile of cash sitting there. Like have here, here, have some, just remember I got another election cycle coming up in a few months. Don't forget me. Don't forget how I did this favor for you. Where are the favors for the taxpayers? I mean, there were some, I think, uh, th- there were a few insurance companies. I think of a few insurance companies and maybe it was uh, Verizon or AT&T. They just took it upon themselves to say, uh, don't worry, we're not going to, we're not going to shut your phone off. We're not going to cancel your insurance. Like we understand it since it doesn't really cost anything to carry the service any, anyway, like don't even get me started on, on big telecom. Yeah. Text messaging is, one of the biggest scams in, in the whole industry. Like, remember when they were, uh, they were selling those, those text packages. Like, it was a dime a text unless you want to pay 30 bucks a month and then you can text as much as you want for free. It was one of the biggest scams ever perpetuated on the population. And, I mean, isn't that, like, like where, where does government come in there? Like, isn't, that's not the whole, shouldn't that be the whole function of government? To intervene, to kind of be the moderator between the population and, and the rest of everything going on out, out, outside of the country, within the country. Because, it, I mean, it's, it's always been a, a miscarriage of justice when yeah, it comes to, sure. to the voters and how they interact with the companies that they work for. Like, I always found that interesting. As, as soon as I entered the workforce, I mean, I can't, I can't talk about whatever I want to talk about at work. What do you mean? Oh, it's not proper to talk about politics or religion or whatever at work. I, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it or I can't work here. Well, that's weird. <laughs> but I, I have to wear these clothes that you say that I have to wear. I, I have to, or I can't work here. And now we're seeing this transformation across the Western world. Yeah. Immigration is out of control. Crime is out of control. I was, it was really interesting to hear that there's no, there's, there's no anti-police sentiment in the UK. Oh, there's a big anti-police sentiment. In the what UK. side does it come from? Uh, mostly because, well, I would say it's mostly, I don't know if I'd say actually, you know what? I'll just preface this with it's more like an anti-metropolitan police. So the metropolitan police are the police that look after London and the greater London area. And they have had a large spate of pretty bad issues uh, relating from uh, kidnapping, uh, 
sexual harassment, other sexual crimes, racism. What, the police have been kidnapping people? Uh, yeah, there was actually a really, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like not good. Like other, right, it, and it right. always seems like there's just like really bad shit always happening with the Metropolitan Police. My local police, there's never any like major controversies, and it's not because they're they're not free from controversy. I'm sure there's stuff that goes on, but it always is the man. Every time you hear about police officer does this, oh my god! Let's let me guess. It's the Metropolitan. Yeah, it's the Metropolitan Police. So. The world, the sort of like country disdain for the police is really around the the Met, uh, and people don't take them seriously. People are afraid to call the police. They're they don't respect them. They and 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 why would you? And and now I think it's gone probably a little bit too far because there's been this recent court case around one of our armed police. Uh, apparently, they shot someone they shouldn't have shot and and now all the armed police are basically handing in all their weapons because they don't want to be on the wrong end of um uh you know some kind of lawsuit or or criminal prosecution and so uh now we don't have any armed police to deal with either terrorism or organized crime and we're having to use the army instead because the armed police is a voluntary position that's why armed police is usually really fucking good because People only do it if they volunteer and go through extensive training. Um, so they tend to be really professional, um, and you barely hear about anything bad happening. But you know, in this case, is and I don't really know the details of the case. Maybe it's justified. Maybe it's not. I think all the police subsequently leaving their roles is is a little bit. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to feel about it personally. I'd be like, you know, if I needed them to do something and. You know, there was no one there. I'm like, mm, okay. Well, this is one of the you delicate know. issues with, with policing and, and anti-police sentiment is if the leadership doesn't stand up for the police officers when it's appropriate to do so, then it has a completely demoralizing effect on the rest of the, the police force. So do you yes. think do you think that this sentiment has to do with you know ha- has some connection to the the looting and and the the you know spike in retail theft that's been going on? Okay, so first of all, e- yes. It definitely believe, does in the US too. Like I believe that people's realize i believe that people's realization that the police is in this country are so reactive and so underprepared for a large scale organized sort of like stuff also the fact that the courts are tied up like crazy and i believe there was a report that came out not long ago that listed off some really scary uh stats uh, I believe this was done by the BBC, or at least the article was from the BBC. Um, and it said something like only 3% of retail theft is ever charged. And of that, an even lesser percent actually ends up with a subsequent conviction. So is it so on if- the... 
is it on like the shop owner or the person that was stolen from to press charges? Um, no. So, so if you call the police and say, look, I, I've been stolen from, um, you, you can press charges, of course, and decide not to, but, but the police hold their own right to, to press charges or, or not. Um, but they will or will not pursue those charges relating to pretty much relative to how much evidence you have and, and realistically how easy it will be for them to prosecute. And if you look at that as a, as a statistic, um, if I steal something from a shop right now in the UK, there is a 97% chance that I will never be charged. And of that, even if I am charged, there's an even greater percentage that I won't be convicted. And that statistic is honestly terrifying. Because if you extrapolate that, the chances of you getting away with something in a large group suddenly goes up. Uh, because it's, it's, you know, people will wear masks, there's chaos. And, you know, it takes a great, a great deal of police to, to contain the situation. And then after the fact, then pick it apart to, to deal with the subsequent crimes that happened. So now what people are doing is some smart people have got together on TikTok and other social medias, and they're organizing like mass lootings, where essentially, because they know that the conviction rate is so low, and because they know even the charge rate is so low, like the chances of, of you being charged after being arrested is so, so low, um, that essentially they know that if they're in a big group, there's basically zero, zero chance that they'll be caught. And if they are caught, then, you know, then they, they, won't, they won't be tried. And so now we've got this uh, sort of epidemic of retail theft and other petty crimes that seem to go completely un unanswered for. And there's not really anything that we can do about it other than just um, increasing surveillance, uh, removing the rights of citizens on private property, and or radically increasing the amount of police officers and other people that we have that actually would, you know, uh, convict someone or stop that from happening and so now what we have is a lot of shop owners are, lo are losing so much money uh that they're having to have all their staff wear cameras because their staff are being harassed and attacked and uh bearing witness to these crimes uh i've seen a lot more places have private security and i know private security is a big booming uh industry right now i'm sure it is in america private security is probably really big for for retail spaces commercial spaces anything like that which you know people would have things of value to the public so I'm, i've been seeing uh you know security in all kinds of shops that you would never see security in really like you know the local post office you know has a guy there now um and even smaller retail shops you know will have someone there just because it's so common now to just have someone walk in, take something, and walk right out. And if they wear a mask, there is absolutely no way to prosecute them, or charge them, or even report them. You know, if someone wears a mask, comes in, wears gloves, takes something, and, and goes out, it doesn't matter how much CCTV you have, it, it's impossible to, to, to track that person down. You have to have someone there that goes no, and stops them. It's it's very caveman. It's very backwards. But there's no level of of technology 
that can really get around that problem. And I think that's one of the issues with this country is that we have applied technology to so many elements of our lives. And now I think it's becoming to come back on us a little bit in these areas where good old fashioned sort of like looting and riot tactics are actually, you know, completely subverting those efforts. And we're going to just have to put more people in places to just stop this behavior until people figure out that it's no longer um, it's no longer either worth the risk or the amount that they get from doing that behavior is so low that it doesn't really warrant them doing that behavior anymore. It's so alarming. It's, it's so alarming because it, it's not just, uh, you know, like a flash mob looting a store in the UK. It's coordinated, it's orchestrated, it's organized, and it's happening all across the Western world. And it's, it's definitely something that requires a little bit more exploration. Yeah, definitely. Because it's very, it's very Maoist in that it seems to me to be designed to make people beg for security. And this is the mm. tactic of the elite, isn't it? Oh, yeah. For, well, the, for sure. The, the, mean, terrorists, yeah. the terrorists flew these buildings into your airplanes. I mean, what are we, we going to do? What choice do we have? Oh, well, how about a crazy authoritarian surveillance state foisted upon the people via the Patriot Act, which is still being renewed 22 years later, 21 years later, over and over again. The, the, the threat of terrorism is, well, it's, it's on the rise now that Joe Biden has taken the helm in the United States. But this is what they say in communist China when you ask them about the total lack of privacy, the social credit system. They say, oh, it's worth it because we're so safe. There's no crime. Even though the heads of the departments in China will deliberately underreport their crime statistics because if, <coughs> if they show crime, to s- crime statistics, it reflects poorly on them. And then a man from the regime comes around and says, why, why are you reporting all of these crime statistics? You must not be doing your job because you have crime. How, how could there be crime if you're doing your job? And so the Chinese Communist Party paints this global picture of, see, look, look at your, your, your populations are rioting. Your, your, your poor law-abiding citizens are suffering. You better do something. And as you say, now we have all of these surveillance tools just waiting to be put into action. Just, just waiting to become tools of some Maoist authoritarian revolution around the world i mean this is what worries me when we see oh great migrant caravans are coming up in the tens tens of thousands of people are coming up in these caravans and they want jobs they want to they want to get into america oh but wait but that's that's happening to italy also and it's happening to germany and it's happening to sweden and it's happening to the uk and it's happening to all of these 
Western Democratic countries. Okay, well, that's, that's a little bit alarming. And then I was just all over the news in Philadelphia. Uh, finally, the police were cracking heads of, of these looters and rioters, which I find atrocious. I can't, I can't watch it. Like on, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, get him. Get that son of a bitch. He's ruining our country. He's stealing from people. And then I see, oh, he's like 15 years old and he's getting ass kicked. He's getting his ass kicked by these jackbooted police officers. I, I, I feel like the same way when I see a, a, a video of some woman getting beaten up on the sidewalk and people just standing around filming. I, I feel rage. And then I also feel this, this has to be a, a, a deliberate effort by people that want to hurt us. Yeah. Because you never see the video where the upstanding citizen intervenes, you know, and kicks the mugger in the teeth and saves the day. And why is that? Because the effort, the effort is to make us cry for safety. Please save us. Who will save us? Will anyone save us? Yeah. I mean, it's so bad now in London that there's no chance of that happening. I mean, these are young. What's it like on public transit? Public transit's okay. Like, there's a lot of people. It's it's very visible. You get freak stuff. People don't like it. People don't even want to walk down the street in the daytime in some of these blue cities in, these, in the United States. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't help that you guys have the fentanyl crisis. I mean, people just start, from what I hear, people are, you know, random crimes, unrelated. Uh, you know, in London, it's, it's more yeah, like yeah. muggings and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, public transport, for the most part, is, is okay. You, you just get kind of homeless, keep people coming down and asking for money. And, you know, that, that's the extent of sort of the... The, the exposure to the, to, the, to the underworld on the, on, on the day-to-day basis. But, you know, when you have these incidents happen, there is, there is no vigilante person that's, that's going to sort this out. The, these are young guys, you know, very young, young teens, uh, completely masked, running around with machetes, okay? You are not going to do anything about it. So there, there is not... That the idea that someone is going to stand up with something and and save the day outside of the police that are already organized is 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 ridiculous. There's no way someone is going to be able to do that. Maybe that with there was like one person and someone steps up and you know does something, but you know when there's like thirty guys all in balaclavas running around with machetes and looting stores, yeah, you know the, nobody's going to be the hero. No one's going to be the hero, and th- if you try to be the hero, you, you're just you're just going to get you're just going to get cut up. And you know why? Why would you get cut up for the co-op or Tesco or some fucking retail store that has insurance? There's no point doing that. It's just it's just outrageous. It's more you know leave that to the police to come down in their riot gear and and sort it out. But I mean the problem with it is like you know yes now we now we become reliant on on the police and. They put these uh, measures in, you know, surveillance measures or more security or, you know, and start to remove some of the freedoms that we that we enjoy just just walking into a store and, and doing the buying experience. Um, we lose that because of, you know, the the one percent of people that, that go in and ruin that for us. But at, at the same time, it's like uh, 
the police are not interested. Well, I, I suppose they might be interested, but they have no appetite or no ability to do any long-form investigation on figuring out why this is happening. They are more interested in just fixing the symptoms of that of that behavior, not the ultimate causality. Like if you look at who is organizing these things together, you know, it would be very, very easy to piece this together, okay? You know, my background is in open source intelligence and mapping some of this stuff together on social media. These things are orchestrated pretty much primarily on social media. It would be very easy to reverse engineer who's organizing these, who is doing this, who is doing that. And this is not an invasion of anyone's privacy. If, if you do crimes online and organize riots, that is a crime. And so if it's, a, if it's, a, if it's an alleged crime, then it's, then it's not unreasonable to have your privacy violated on social media. But it is unreasonable to, let's say, capture all the data of everyone that walks into a store just in case they steal something. But they don't have this approach. They're like, okay, we may as well just put in a bunch of surveillance so we capture anyone that comes into the store, regardless whether they steal something or not, we're going to capture their information, rather than like looking on social media with you know more of a scalpel, you know, very targeted approach and saying, well, we'll only look at the data of someone that's actually organizing these events. We're actually only going to figure out the identity of the person that's orchestrating this and being involved in this. And then from there, you can put pressure on the people that are actually causing the problem Rather than just, you know, because how do you do that on a wide scale? They'll just, okay, we can't go to Tesco anymore. We'll go to Sainsbury's and we'll do a Sainsbury's because we haven't, you know, they haven't, they haven't put all the surveillance stuff in there. It's just ridiculous. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's very strange. It's very strange. But fuck it. What do I know? I feel like it's orchestrated. I, yeah. beyond, beyond just a couple of kids saying, Hey, let's go get some new shoes. I think somebody puts the idea into their head by pointing to things like we've just discussed. Very few, uh, you know, petty crimes are actually prosecuted, even if you're arrested. And if you go in a group, you won't be arrested. And I, I, I can't help but think because you, you just made a point to prove my point. It would be so easy. To go back, identify the people that were there, look into their social media, maybe uh, take a peek at their bank account, see where the money is coming from. But how, yeah, how be, hard would it to be, be to, you know, because teenagers, they're impressionable, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're easy to trick. This is one of the reasons that they want to lower the voting age in the United States. Because they go, they go into these leftist schools where they're indoctrinated into these leftist Marxist uh, ideas. And then uh, they can go vote two years before they're out of high school and bam, communist country. Maoist, authoritarian uh, uh, constituency, fresh out of college. Believing all of these things, this, these, these poisonous ideas that have been planted there by foreign interests. Yeah. I think it's the same, the same people responsible for all of the looting and burning are the same people that are responsible for migrant caravans. The same people responsible for inflaming tensions between the 
U- the Ukraine and and Russia. I know it's not the the Ukraine anymore. I I didn't I didn't mean to say the. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. More, you know, there, yeah. there's more going on. There's more going on than just oh, school kids have figured out how to how to juke the system. Oh, for sure. No, it, it, you know, someone will have come up with the original idea, then told a bunch of people to do it, and once it hits social media, then then everyone else suddenly realizes they can get away with it. Well, the, uh, this convenient. isn't just a London problem. Yeah, it, it, I, you know, it hits social yeah, media, like you say, and then they can that that's that's one thing that the mobs in the UK can can say. Oh well, we just we learned about it from watching it on watching the Americans do it on social media, and then you know the George Soros types and the Bill Gates types that are that are you know facilitating this authoritarian global takeover can you know they can cover their tracks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like you know the, the, these kids, right? It's not like they're poor or something. They just do it because they want to. They do it because they find it fun. Uh, and that's, that's, that's a sign of the times, man. That's a sign of times when people start doing that shit for fun. You know, people, when people get together in groups, they do weird shit, you know, with that, you know, uh, in any sort of like, like country, you know, pe- once people get into groups, they get into like, like that cult behavior, that organized behavior, things that you would think would be the wrong thing to do. They can justify in their head. And now you, you get like knife gangs in Nottingham, uh, Leicester, Birmingham, London, all this sort of stuff where people act with impunity. And the only solution to that, you know, eventually will be, will, will, will eventually be more fascistic type, uh, either technologies or regulation or, you know, more police. And who does that hurt really? Does that hurt them? Maybe. Uh, but really it hurts us more. I would have thought so anyways. Well, and, and, Creating more laws and more enforcement against criminals that already break the law and disregards the, the regulations is, I mean, it's just, it's just creating the illusion of doing something. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because at the moment, what they do is they, they're like, well, the courts are so fucked and the police can't do anything that they create regulation that allows them to get around other regulation so they can fast-track prosecution of some laws. But even then, that's completely ridiculous because you have to get to a point where you can prosecute somebody. And if there's a 97% chance that they won't even be charged or caught or arrested, then that's irrelevant. So you're totally right. You know, they do these things just because that's the, you know, for a politician, that's all they can do. You know, every problem is a nail. And the only... Ha- the the only hammer they have is to create or technically destroy you know legislation and so they just they just hit with their legislation hammer on every problem they have and the only way that they the, the only thing that will come of it from the cries of the constituency is fewer freedoms and more crackdown and who really suffers you know is it the criminals you know, maybe, but ultimately, I think it's us that suffers the most from from that. I would have thought so, because, like, at the end of the day, all these, you know, like the NSA and 
SOPA and PIPA and all these other, you know, large regulate even the online safety bill that they're trying to ram through parliament, which is not a bill yet, but they're trying, you know, ultimately that does not protect anyone. It just creates barriers for the public. And it just well, creates- it protects the sleazeballs that want to do all their dirty dealings, you know, under cover yeah. of darkness and not mm-hmm. allow. I mean, that's one that's one of the our, our greatest tools as a public is this this ethereal sharing of information that the only the only choice the ruling elite has is to cut off our access. Yeah, I, I I agree. Like, you know, the internet is is simultaneously the worst and best thing that's ever happened to the human race. Um, and you know, for all its faults and for all the problems that it creates, like, you know, at the same time, it allows us to do, you know, what we're doing right now. We're we're doing a podcast where we can vent our opinions and maybe educate a few people along the way, um, and share information to people and 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 in a time span that is so so much quicker than would have been possible beforehand um and so you know like it it goes both ways Uh, you know sharing the information is bad because then people get find out that they can steal pretty much with impunity uh as we've seen with the riots and all these other things and lootings but at the same time you know we're able to share knowledge of that with people and we're able to share and problem solve with people from all over the world and i think it's a great it's a great asset um at the same time as being you know problematic but would i change it no probably not i think it's great i think we can always find ways to to improve it i mean they i think where we went wrong and i remember it like it was almost the 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 flip of a switch i was always told you know don't don't tell anybody who you are on the internet right don't don't believe what people say about themselves on the internet and then suddenly we woke up one morning and it was everything on twitter is true and everybody on twitter is who they say they are and we can believe everything that people say on twitter as these people that they're claiming to be because why oh just because jack dorsey decided he needed that credibility for his social media platform. And now like I, I couldn't find. So when I, when I was preparing for the show and I was trying to find those Matt Gates clips, I had to go to his Twitter page to find them because they weren't coming up in any of my searches. And wow. I just thought like, this is, this is the state of media and the control of information. And thank heavens, Elon Musk, uh, bought, Twitter to begin with. Otherwise I probably wouldn't even have been able to find, I mean, this was why the, the crazy outcry against Elon Musk and then the investigations and trying to hurt him this way and that, because they have to find the, the, the handholds for, for manipulation because I mean, God, what would the world look like if we didn't have to protect ourselves from these super villain b- billionaires. Yeah, I know. That want to just shape the world as they see fit. I mean, if we could all just function as human beings in, you know, the pursuit of happiness and shelter and video games, you know, can we like 
we all just basically want the same things except for a select few number of sociopaths that just hunger for a larger, you know, seeing a larger number in their bank statements. <coughs> yeah, for sure. It's, <laughs> but such is the world. Yeah. That for, for real, it's sort of one of these things where, you know, as the public, we have to be very careful um, how much we ask for help in these situations. Like, who should be the one that should help us in this? You know, because in the UK, the, as far as I see it, um, people have asked the government for help on basically everything that comes into their life. And that's fine, but then you give them more responsibility and more power over your life. And if you do that, then you're, you're going to have to accept the fact that that will be that will be abused and so i think the public has to also get themselves off this drug of asking the government for help asking these institutions for help and you just have to accept the fact that you're going to have to somehow deal with this yourself well you and are that's going to yeah one of the downsides of the internet too i mean i know we need to wrap here we could go on forever but one one oh, of the sure. downsides to the internet as well is now we see the pictures of all of the homeless people. We see the pictures of the people that are suffering across the world. Oftentimes it's thrown in our face to manipulate us, but nevertheless, we can see that people are hurt and homeless and starving and in a bad way. And I think it's in human nature to want to help those people. Yeah. And that makes it really difficult for politicians to make the tough decisions that would, you know, not necessarily, but potentially leave those people out in the cold. Like, sorry, we couldn't get fun. We couldn't get funding for homeless people. We couldn't get funding for migrants in the, in the latest budget deal. We, we just couldn't do it. I mean, that would create a lot of problems for these politicians that want to keep their power. Because now it's of all course, on display. Uh, yeah. they all, all of, of their constituents yeah. can see the pictures of these suffering people. Yeah, it would cause a lot. It would cause a, a great deal of issues for them, you know, personally. Um, but the, there's some element that if it's somebody else's problem, usually, you know, that, that can be a good thing like for example you know this energy thing that they paid for in the uk right like energy prices are still high and that's because they were artificially increased by the fact that the government basically bankrolled it for a year and there's two sets of arguments for this which i completely understand and one half is you don't pay for people's energy and some people can't afford it and so they have to turn it off and they will be in a situation where they can't turn the lights and they don't have heating. And that is a genuine uh, consideration. And well, yeah, and if, then, if more people thought that the, the power company wouldn't turn their bill or wouldn't, or wouldn't turn their power off if they didn't pay their bill, more people wouldn't pay their bill. Exactly. So there, there has to be some line of consequence here because at the moment there isn't. And it does, it does everything such a huge disservice because, 
you know, people that might have been able to afford the power on their own without uh, uh, being given money by the government will have paid, you know, the government would have paid for an inflated price. You know, if they didn't pay it and people reduce their uses of energy, the amount that the energy company would be willing to uh, price their energy at would be lower. You know, if the demand goes lower, then then the price would be would be lower at wholesale, right? But that's just not the situation that ends up being. So, you know, if you have to stop that process, and we're stopping it anyways, you end up in the same situation that you would have been in the in the in the beginning. The only difference is 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 you've taken tax dollars and just plowed it straight into a large multinational gas company. Um, well, and that's the has, easiest. That's the easiest decision, right? That's the easiest decision for the politician to make because. It's not actually their money. No that, no. that they're giving to these electric companies. It used to be the people's money, but now it's it's taken the form of tax dollars. So it's this, you know, mysterious pile of money that nobody really knows where it came from or pays attention yeah. and of course, the mega corporation would love to help themselves to that. Yeah, so they can yeah. use all of their tools. All, they have all of these tools available to them with the media, with social media and advertising. Not to mention non-government organizations and, and, and charities and things like that. They can use all of these tools to manipulate these politicians into giving them access to this big pile of mysterious dollars or pounds even. And then it becomes, it, it looks like a win-win for everybody. Until you have to pay the police or you have to pay the military or you have to build a new bridge. Right. And then suddenly it's all. There's no money. Where's the money gone? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, and. Well, we paid all your electric bills, you ungrateful cunts. (laughs) Exactly, bro. Exactly. And, And now anytime anyone gets into any kind of financial difficulty, the immediate response is not that. I have made a, a mistake, right? It is the government should help me out and keep my living standards to what it is. Like when fuel went up through the roof, this January, I, it was two pounds a liter, which is, that's a lot, okay, <laughs> for diesel. Um, now it's at about 156 or something, but um, there were people back then going, you know, the government needs to do a scheme to help me pay for my fuel. but. That is not the solution to that problem. The solution should be, if you cannot pay for that fuel, you should drive less. Yeah, you don't you get should, the fuel. You should, like, seriously consider your financial situation. I drove less. I looked at the pump and I said, I, am no, I know this is going to come down that later this year. This is like the peak. I am just going to drive less. And I drove less. And therefore, I didn't spend that much money on fuel than then if I just, oh, if I went all out all the time to coffee and to dinner and to all these other places in my, in my gas-guzzling diesel truck, you know, and paying through the nose, yeah, sure, I would have been completely fucked because I, I would have been paying so much money on fuel, but my immediate reaction was not to, you know, write to my local MP and go, hey, you know what, some of that tax money I gave you, can you give it back to me so I can, you know, maintain my living standards and also all the other people around that pay their taxes, I want some of that shit too so I, so I don't have to change my living standards. This is a completely, you know, Western problem with society is that, and that's the problem about many things, housing, cars, 
culture, all this stuff, is it supposed to, their their mind is that it's supposed to go up. Housing prices are supposed to go up. The you know my savings is supposed to go up. My stocks are supposed to go up, and these create endemic problems in in culture and society because we are not prepared for things to go down. We are not prepared for stocks to go down. We're not prepared for Bitcoin to go down. We're not prepared for the price of our house to go down. We're set up so that everything grows, and so when something bad happens, they don't look at themselves. You know, I look at the Sam Bankman-Fried thing. You know, with with the crypto crash and everything, and someone goes. I put my whole life savings and my house and everything into this crypto exchange, and then it exploded. And I blame Sam Bankman-Fried. And I'm thinking, hello, if Idiot. you put all that shit into anything, if you put all your life savings, your house, and everything into commodities, you're an idiot. If you put it into stocks, you're an idiot. If you put it into government bonds, you're an idiot. Okay, that is just a bad financial decision, and you're going to blame someone else because it crashed. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's no. why we have the saying: "Don't put all your eggs in one basket." Hey, for real, man. Because if look, you drop that we, basket, all your eggs are fucked, and then you're in a real it, predicament. Exactly, 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 exactly. But the the culture is right now. Oh, nothing bad can happen. Yeah, it should I, go up. I and if something. I shouldn't had, have yeah. to. I shouldn't have to endure the consequences for any of my bad decisions. Right. That's the and, culture. And here comes the cycle, because you ask the government to help, the government helps out. Because they helped out before, you ask them again. Then they get more power. Then they have more regulation. Then because they're the only people that can help, they're the only people that will help. And then because they're the only people that will help, then they always help. And when they always help, you get crazy spending, and you get a private sector that's completely fucked, because they completely fuck over all the private sector people that, that were helping before. It's a completely you know, toxic, toxic cycle that essentially ends up with a government that is so large, so bureaucratic, and so all-encompassing that really there's nothing you can do to stop them making decisions around your life because your life is completely and utterly dependent on the laws and the regulations around in which you live. Rather because than they they turn around and say, well, hey, you you want my help? You need my help? Yes. Okay. Well, this is how I can help, and 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 this yes. is what I can do. And we're we're pushed to this point, and it's very Maoist. We're pushed to this point where we say, help, help. Gas is too expensive. Gas is too expensive. Joe Biden, do something. Gas is too expensive. Okay. Right. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow out all of our strategic petroleum reserves and that's going to bring the the price of fuel down you know a, a dollar a gallon or something for for a limited time and yeah, then right. oh well we can't have no strategic petroleum so we're going to pay a uh, hundred dollars a barrel now to these oil companies to fill our strategic petroleum reserves back up never mind all the in-between bit what's important is that joe biden took tax dollars and paid them to oil companies to keep the price of your gas low yeah. because you asked for it, whether yeah, exactly. directly or and indirectly. Then, and then it disconnects the market from what you pay at the pump, which is the wrong way to look about it. Because then how do you price anything? How do you forecast anything in the future? How do you plan your life for the future? How do you budget? if? You can't look at statistics, you can't look at anything 
because prices start to be controlled by the central government, which is never a good thing. Take a page out of the Soviet Union's book on that one. Yeah. You know, that, that is a huge fucking problem, okay? And then compounded on the fact that you're taking out your strategic reserves of gas and oil, which is never good. Um, and the Not fact when that, we're you, at you know, war with Russia. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So it's like, you know, I, I think asking the government to help where it is not in our best interest for them to help us is always going to be a dangerous thing. There are things that government are set up to do very, very well with helping us. Okay, helping us with organized crime, helping us with fraud, uh, helping us with things that only they can really do and help yeah. us with, you know, like environmental protections, large infrastructure projects, but helping out with market issues or helping out with cultural issues or helping out with things that are not really something that's so cut and dry or, or object or, or, or things that aren't immediately objective. These are things that are so difficult once you once they become embedded in to get them out of because because they're the central government they have great resources and they have such a wide you know they're, they're, they span so large and so it's very difficult for you as a private organization to take over the reins of that unless they take that department and they privatize it you know for example like royal mail was the national mail provider for the uk and there was no other mail provider because they just owned everything. They could set the price. And if anyone tried to come in, they would set the price lower. You know, everyone worked for that thing. All the infrastructure was set up. They had really good service. It's impossible to get in there. And so if you ever had any mail issues, you had to go to the government. And then they privatized it. And then it became more of a competitive environment. We have a lot of things like that. But, you know, if, if that goes the other way, you know, they, pri they, they nationalize Royal Mail and just slash prices and just kill off the whole private thing. You know, that's essentially, you know, it happening in, in reverse. And that, and that, you know, that could, that could be what happens in the future with a, with a nationalized energy company that just kills off the entire private sector of like oil and gas and energy in the country. Well, and I think that's the, you're describing the, the merger of uh, corporations and government, which yeah. is, you know, eerily, eerily similar to, to fascism. If you only have one, you know, and, th and this is one of the things that's been developing since the pandemic, because the pandemic crushed small business. It even crushed some medium sized business. It's consolidated all of this power and, you know, created more, more billionaires and uh, reduced a lot of competition. And if you don't have competition, then you have things like, you know, one company to deliver the mail that can make their price whatever they want their price to be. One company that sells oil and they can make those barrels of oil any price that they want them to be because you have nowhere else to go. And yeah. that's the idea. That's, that's what we're heading towards right now. That's, that's the concept behind so many developments. I mean, if you, if you just draw your, your line of thought out far enough, you see that, oh, they just want one thing, one, one government, one car company, one computer company, one shipping company, and we can just deal with it or get fucked. 
yeah, yeah. Like we we hope that the government again asking the government. We hope that the government will have regulations strong enough to regulate a very, very, very small amount of companies in one in one industry. Like our water industry in the UK is is all privatized, but of course, with the nature of that, there's only one provider that you have per area. So you just hope that the government is good enough at their job to regulate that company. And to that, I, I just say, like, just nationalize the whole thing. Because h- how is there any difference between having a monopoly over the water in your local area and just having it be nationalized anyways? Having it be private and then having regula- regulation on top of that is basically just having it, you know, the worst of both worlds. You get the regulation of the national interest, okay, which is always the shit one. And you get the rampant corruption of having one company run something that you literally have to pay for. It's water. So I don't understand why that's a thing. Um, other than the fact that it's just blatant corruption because the regulatory body is shit and the water company is just shit. Uh, and there's just basically no accountability for it. So you may as well just nationalize it. Because if you're going to have a shit service, you may as well just just put it on the national thing and yeah, maybe it'll cut out the middleman. Yeah. Just, just cut out the CEO bonuses. Uh, like you may as well just do that. Like, uh, you know, I, and that's from a libertarian that like believes in small government. Like I'd rather be fucked over by the government and not have to pay some CEO, like some crazy bonus than support, uh, a private institution that has a monopoly over the water supply and has really shitty regulation from the government. Yeah, it's it's one of the few things that I actually support a, a, a government for, you know, for for essentials. We don't need a huge bloated bureaucracy to provide, you know, oversight for our essentials. It could be, you know, I, I, I think utilities in general have been nationalized from time to time. And then somebody comes along and says, oh, but we can save so much money by uh privatizing it and letting you know some other entrepreneur run run the business and until that entrepreneur starts saying well hey i control all the water so you better you better do what i say you better do some favors for me or i'm gonna make things difficult for you yeah and so here we are in in modern western politics yeah, here we are. We're we're in the worst of both worlds where we have rampant corporate corruption through mostly government interference in markets. Um, you know, when governments interfere with markets, quite often a lot of companies get struck off, deleted, disillusioned, dissolved, all these things, right? And then you get a sort of like supermajority of like companies that then lobby governments and then solidify their positions. And so, well, and the billionaires, billionaires across industry, across industries, you know, work will work together for their own best interests. So, of course, so really it's, it's a cabal of billionaires that are responsible for the operations of, of most things across the planet whether it's in in a private setting you know private sector setting or whether it's through lobbying 
you know, politicians and, and other government officials. They have the money, they make the rules, and we're given the illusion of choice. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, mate. You're totally on, right. On that like, happy note, yeah. I will encourage you to visit Vox404.com and follow mm. us on uh, your favorite podcast platform. I am at Verth, Earthvox on Twitter slash X, which people are calling Twix now, which I particularly enjoy uh, i quite i quite like that yeah twix is a great uh chocolate bar here in the uk as well so and and here and here one of one of my favorites actually oh i didn't know you got it over there that's kind of cool um do you want uh well let's I, I will let you plug your your social media if you so desire and and uh give us your final words sure thanks very much for listening uh th- this episode i think i really i actually really enjoyed we covered a lot of really good ground and um, if you want to hear a bit more about uh, some more green stuff, because I know we touched a little bit on the net zero thing, that's really good for the previous episode we were just on. Um, if you're listening again since then, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm starting to be a little bit more active on, on uh, Twix. I think Earth, Earthbox has probably noticed that over the last couple of days. So um, yes. you can follow me at 404 Missing Link. That's, uh, that's my whole name. Thank you very much. Don't forget to share and subscribe to the show. We will talk to you soon.